0: past wrongs, and come to terms with the shameful lies we've told. We have no anecdote to introduce this episode. Instead, we're going to get right into it. I did it.
1: have an anecdote. I just forgot it.
0: Did you forget it, or was it never really true? Well, I don't know, because uh, what we know
1: about memory, right, is that like memory is so fallible that you you don't really remember the thing that you remember. You remember your memory of the memory, and then when you misremember something, it becomes part of the memory that you remember. So you could never really trust that even memories that feel very accurate are accurate, So when I tell you, no, I didn't make it up, I really had this thing and then forgot it, that could just be my sort of like post-facto revision of my misremembering of whether or not the thing actually exists.
0: And with that thrilling anecdote, (laughs) ripped from our lives, we're going to get into it with our guest. Welcome, David Levine. Uh, David is an artist and writer. Uh, Do you want to introduce yourself a little bit beyond that? Um, Sure. Yeah.
2: Uh, I'm an artist and writer, and most of my work involves uh, working with professional actors because I started out as a theater director, but I didn't really like theater because it wasn't 3D enough. So I started, but I liked working with actors. So I started shifting them into the actual world, which sometimes involves infiltrations and things like that. And then that's probably what I'm doing here.
1: Yeah. So, right. So, but just to be clear, no one. There's no actors. You're an actor, but you're not acting I'm not as an, an act- actor. You're not an actor. No, no, no. no you're no. you are a director. Also,
0: I should say at this point, I don't really know David that well. No, but well. this is this is actually really, David. I brought David here.
2: <laughs> this is a really interesting thing. When I started actually working in the art world, I was known as you know, like I you know, it was it was pretty clear that the stuff that I was making you know had to do with me working with actors. And mm-hmm. as far as I knew, it was very clear that what I was doing was some kind of like kind of expanded directing. Right. I was still working with actors and rehearsing them, but. The way I first... The first press that came out about me consistently referred to me as a former actor.
0: Oh, oh and there was and, no evidence for that.
2: Well, just that I, I you know, I'd said I was a director, but like it, it only made the narrative only made sense if I was an, if I was a former actor. So at a certain point, I was like, fine, if that's what you need, if that's what you need to like like my work, mm-hmm. yeah, I can be a former because actor. because
0: of your interest in like the 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 métier of acting or just like I think or the reception of acting or all of that. I
2: just think. It, an art press didn't really know what a theater director did and I th- or or a film director. For that. I mean, I think yeah. it just, it was, it just was a better, it, was, it just was a better story. Yeah. You know, I think rather than trying to fidget over what, because back, you know, prior to that, like, you know, my mom or dad, you know, would introduce me to someone. They would be like, you know, he's a writer. <laughs> he's you a know, writer, which to yeah. say, it's just, it's directors barely, it's very hard to say what a director does yeah. in the way that you can say what a writer does or what right. an actor does. And I think just that particular world for that amount of time, it just what I was doing made more sense to them if they thought of me as an actor, mm. and it didn't seem worth my time. It seemed too precious to try to correct them, and it also just did not seem like it would make a difference. Well,
0: and I, I mean, I think you know, like if I was going to write a like sort of half-assed article about you, I would say you're at like the meeting point of theater and performance. Well, what I was going to say, but, but what on. I
1: was going to say is like is like it seems like at least from the little that I do know about your work is that it is about one of the things that, that some of it is about is about interrogating that distinction between actor and non-actor, right. Or yeah. between performance and, 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 yeah. and not performance. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So there is a way in which like that kind of like lie of convenience sort of, you know, in some way recapitulates this, this very problem where you're like, yeah, Sure, I'm an ex actor. If that if that makes right. it ha- if that right. makes it easier for you, well, right? wh- But that raises the question.
0: Well, whereas being an ex or acting director doesn't mean anything in an art context, right? Like or in performance well, art. D- necessarily. The funny thing is,
2: being, being a director, like the way you translate being a theater director, is basically just being an artist, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So, like you know, because when when artists when artists Make videos and hire actors to do them. You know they're the artists; they're not the director, even though technically what they they are directors. Right, right. But yeah. I think this also goes to you know I'm sure something we'll be talking about a lot, which is what because my you know the when, the thing that I kept thinking of with this podcast was this early story of mine. But yeah. but basically the relationship of faking it to just letting attributions wash over you. Mm-hmm. Right. So like, I mean, as opposed yeah. to being like, Oh yeah, I know about that band. Yeah. Right. Yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. There's like this other version of faking it where you just don't resist. I
0: think it's far more common. I mean, yeah. honestly, I think that you have people who are, yeah, just bullshitters or liars or whatever, and they'll claim to have done any number of things. And most of us, it's a live omission. Right, you know, or it's yeah, it's letting it wash over you, as right. you said. Um,
2: anyway, so go and this on. This is how so, I mean the great, the great, the, you know, the great, the talented Mr. Ripley, like the great text of like sociopathic faking. It right. just starts with him letting one thing wash over him. Right, and yeah, 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 and everyone believes it then. Right, I mean, yeah. like, and that's all he needs. Right. right, and then he's like, oh, okay, yeah, <laughs> okay, sure, yeah. let's do this. Yeah, I mean, it's only he only gets into active lying once he starts to panic. Yeah,
1: well, right, he does know. have the thing earlier in the novel where, I mean he doesn't ever contemplate this explicitly, but he talks about when he kills Dickie in the novel, right? He's like, he kills him first out of, you know, this kind of like, um, this moment of, out of like humiliation, rage, et cetera. And then he dumps the body and then he goes back. And then without really commenting on it, he starts like putting on Dickie's clothes right. and stuff. Right. And then, then the act of lying starts where he starts like faking documents and like right. faking, you know, and all that stuff but that's it, all
2: to cover certain problems
1: right yeah. yeah exactly exactly right
0: yeah all right so what's your what's your childhood uh, uh okay faking it moment let's let's start at the beginning Which, we've been told
1: that there is one that there's, that there's there's primalcy. always one yeah at
2: well, this least is one just when like this is just one that i was hoping you guys could help me figure out because yeah, i yeah. never <laughs> quite understood my motivation so uh-huh. i had like when when you guys started the podcast um you know, which I've listened to avidly. I also especially love the Thank Tom you. Waits thing. Well, I, Even though the Tom Waits thing is not technically, it's not as much of a faking it thing. No, but it's a great, great, it's a great, it's a, it's great, a great area. <laughs> That's
1: <laughs> the one we've gotten the most blowback about. I'll say, someone got a friend got very upset at me at a bar over it. Wow. He like I'm glad I wasn't me, there. Texted me about it, and I assumed that he had that he had just listened to it, and then it would he'd forget about it or mm. whatever. It was just a momentary reaction. And I saw it like months later. And he was, and and Paul, if you're listening, I'm talking about you. (laughs) Uh, And, uh, and, and then he was like, he like thought it was all my, me in particular. Yeah. That I had this like grave misunderstanding. of Oh, well, yeah. I mean, that's what you
0: open yourself up to if you don't just act like you know and love everything. All the Tom Waits
2: stands really? Like, I mean, I would think it was, I think with, with him, the faking would be the other way around, which is like. People in milieus where they're where they know they're not supposed to still like Tom Waits, mm-hmm. and they kind of have to fake not liking Tom Waits, even though a little bit of them still really like Tom Waits. That could mm-hmm. be a follow up. Like mm-hmm. you know, we could find I mean, that person. No, <laughs> I mean, I'll, like hey, yeah, swordfish trombones, yeah, rain dogs. Yeah. I think they're, they're great actually records. great albums. They're great. Yeah. like I mean, okay. like like with the caveat that everything you guys said about the shtick <laughs> is totally true. Um, anyway, so my my faking it story was. That I never really faked it, but I would do this. But I, one time, and I remember this really vividly in summer camp. I, I would go to. I went to summer day camp, and it was the summer. Or I, got, I don't know when Empire Strikes Back came out. Like
1: I want to say eighty.
2: Uh, yeah, I mean I don't know if it came out the previous year or what, but mm-hmm. I would somehow like you know the way it was like a, it was like a you know like it was a YMHA summer camp, and so I you know like. The buses weren't really full, and mm-hmm. so you'd have different people sitting with you every time. And it wasn't like it was a day camp, so you weren't making like, lifelong friends or anything. Yeah. And I kept steering the conversation towards the Empire Strikes Back and how I hadn't seen it. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> now, I had seen it three times. <laughs> what? And it was like an hour and a half bus ride to Camp Yomi, or wherever the fuck I was going. Uh-huh. And I would pass the bus ride away by like letting people... Tell me about the Empire Strikes Back, um, and I'd be like, "Oh wait, so wait, a tauntauns what? Or and a what?" And <laughs> <laughs> I did this
0: like at least four times. This is great. This is like an inversion of faking right. it right.
2: Yeah. And I would just, and like like in later years. And I actually, I hadn't thought about it for ages. That so it's always something didn't when Gabe first told me about the podcast. I was like, "That was really fucking weird." Yeah. Yeah. Like, did you like the? Did other ki- were other kids like?
0: I can't believe you haven't seen mm-hmm. this like document of of our generation yeah. or whatever mm-hmm. they thought it was. Yeah. Yeah, and you you enjoyed that. I mean that was the that character position for you was one that you wanted to experience or inhabit. You know,
2: if we, if the thing is like that part was that part was that part was Peripheral to me. Like, it was just hmm. something I rolled with. Like, yeah. I really wanted to hear how they told the story. So, like, so, uh. so, it wasn't that I was grooving on the abuse or on the right. incredulity. It well, was just that like, I would think it would be
1: the opposite, right? I mean, everyone, you know, every kid saw, or every at least boy probably at that age saw Empire Strikes back. Right. It was insanely popular. But if you hadn't, right, that's a kind of mark of distinction. And then it draws right. the narrative, draws people's attention to it's you true. because, like, everyone gets. Pleasure from recounting plots right. of things that they've seen.
0: Right, they're probably like they're probably all like kind of uh, you know angling to be the one to, narr- to narrate it to you. Right. Mm-hmm. And I mean, they're like, no, 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 you missed the best part, which is I, blah, I, nev- blah. Nev-
2: I never, I never engineered a groove narration, and I, I wish I had. But <laughs> the buses only had like room for so like, it was only sir. you and whoever your It was me and whoever, whoever was. I was and whoever my seatmate was. Yeah. Um, and the, yeah, I would, I would. The, the incredulity just seemed like two minutes to like get over, just to get what I wanted, which right. was.
1: Which was them to tell you the story? Yeah, but
2: that's
0: uh-huh. but it's kind of great too because you are like, what's a good conversation starter? <laughs> <laughs> like, how yeah. do you how do you make friends? You know, in, a, in an environment that is you know possibly hostile. Summer camp is you know oh, anxiety so inducing. Yeah. You don't know anybody, and you are like, hello stranger. Like, we can certainly agree on it's interesting that I haven't seen this thing and, you <laughs> well, are, you, know. and you're obsessed with it, as is everyone, as am I secretly. Well, that's, but that's actually the interesting thing. Was, three like,
2: times. All the time, to- yeah, all the times, but then like you realize like all the times when you didn't know what they were talking about and you fronted instead. Mm-hmm. You could have been having this attention lavished on you yeah. right? Right. by people who really want yeah. to perform their knowledge, yeah. and right. instead you preempted it by fronting. Well, these are two yeah. very
1: different. These are two very different forms of attention, right? Because one is like about occupying a position, like the kind of faking we usually sort of talk about, is like occupying a position of knowledge of of, of you know a fake knowledge in order to be able to engage with somebody as a knowledgeable interlocutor right yeah um and and of course the sort of ego driven desire not to be seen as someone who doesn't know something important or whatever right but the attention that you get from being someone who either actually doesn't know or is pretending they don't know is a totally different kind of attention that you're getting yeah right because when someone is speaking to you and telling you something they are paying attention to you they are they are sort of focused on you, but it's something that, what is that, I, I'm interested in this particular, the, the de, kind of desire, it for felt, this particular kind it of It felt
2: like care, hmm. right? Like, yeah. I'm sitting there on the bus, and I always remember, like, this weird haunted castle, we passed by, like, halfway, <laughs> uh-huh. halfway out, like, where I assumed it was haunted, you saw it at a distance, mm-hmm. um, but it felt like care, right? Like, mm-hmm. these people are going to sit here, and they're going to tell you the story, enthusiastically, and patiently for as long as it takes. Right. And it meant that I could just, I could just have someone talk to me. Mm. Well, this. it's and they it, were really concerned that I got it. it. Right.
0: Well, it's also a little bit the opposite of like another form of faking it, which is like, you don't really want to be seen certainly as the person who doesn't know something, but maybe kind of at all. Whereas like it's recognition, right? Like you are, you are as the subject of the narration of, of empire. You're being recognized. Yeah. Right, like they're like, oh, you, you need you need to
2: know this. Like <laughs> when you said, subject of <laughs> narration of empire. I thought you were in some weird post-colonial. No, <laughs> no, 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 no. But aren't we all... Right. <laughs> dot dot dot. Um, um, but as opposed
0: yeah. to like, as opposed to like, oh sure, like I know that we're on the same, we're on a level playing field here. Nothing to see. But, you know, I'm, uh, I'm 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 nothing. You know, special the, the or wrong. Thing
1: also, is that it seems to be like to me it sounds like an extremely unanxious relationship to cultural knowledge i guess for lack of a better term right that is like gabe and i have experienced this anxious relationship to cultural where you you have to know the thing of course you have to know the thing right and if you don't know it then it's something bad about you right but like you have this unanxious or young you had this unanxious relationship where if you had the anxiety that you had to know you would never have taken such pleasure in pretending that you didn't you know what i'm saying yeah
2: it's true so like
1: what kind of a kid were you that you were that anxious? <laughs> That's fucked up, man. Well, um. you did, well, you did
0: say to tell you what kind of kid you were. Um, <laughs> yeah. we, 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 spoke earlier sort of like a little bit of prep for this. And you said something to the effect of like, you'd be, maybe this is at that time or maybe later you'd be the quiet, the quiet one. And then sort of listening to what everybody's into that you don't know about. And right. then you'd go and learn everything about it. If yeah. you, if you were so moved yeah. and then you'd have that ammunition or whatever, you'd have it. Yeah. Um, is that correct? That sort of like describes you as like a young person. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. I, I mean, mean,
2: but I think that, well, I mean, there's, yeah. I mean, I think there's, there's a lot of side thoughts off that, but one thing I wrote back to you was the, you know, I think that, well, one reason why I was like after, after my halcyon days of summer camp, like, you know, I went through a protracted period of like not having any friends at all. So if anyone had asked me, what I thought of the Smiths, mm. I would happily affronted, right? But instead, I ha- I had no choice but to go home and like learn everything about the thing that people were listening to because I had nobody to talk to. But my main, yeah. but my main thought about it was is more that I think that there's an inverse problem, which is you're really you're really orchestrating. Like if you if someone's like, "Oh, do you know about this thing?" Mm-hmm. and you know, you're like, "Oh yeah, I know about that thing." Like I would never have done that as a kid because it would just would have felt like it would have kept the dick swinging going, mm-hmm. and eventually I would I would have been on the losing end of it. The pendulum will
1: rest at some point. Yeah,
2: you know. But then the problem, you know, I, I could like I'd watch enough Brady Bunches to see like where pretending to know something you didn't kind of ultimately led. Right. But the
0: a problem, for it's going to end in a lesson. Yes, <laughs> <So when> I, <laughs> I believe it's, it's going to end in You're the learn something. you <laughs>
2: Temple, you know. But the but the converse of that was is that I think that it's a little bit what I was up to. Was kind of insidious in a, in a longer term way because I was getting people to kind of perform for me at mm. length. Mm-hmm. So, you know, fronting at least keeps a conversation going yeah. that you're not in secret control of. If anything, you're in less control because you're like faking it. Yeah. Whereas what I was up to, I was pretty much opting out of, a, of an actual conversation, but I was making somebody talk to me for 45 minutes under completely false pretenses, right. which, is a, which is a different kind of violation of trust.
1: Well, it's a, it also has a different kind of like conversational teleology, right? Because if you are doing the kind of faking it where you're pretending to know something you actually don't, you only have so many dance steps before you just have to change the subject. Right. But if you are pretending not to know something that you do know you have an infinite number of questions you can ask about that thing. Right. Um, and, and that person could theoretically never stop talking about right.
2: it. But, it's all, but, that, but that is exercising a form of control. Oh, yeah. Like, I remember at a certain point realizing like, you know, once, once I learned German, I think like, because um, whenever I'd hear people, I, like I spoke French, and whenever I'd hear people speaking French in the subway, I'd very eagerly like talk French to them. And then like mm-hmm. I, I learned some German, and then I suddenly realized, oh, if they don't know you speak German, then you can eavesdrop. Right, mm-hmm. and I feel like I mean, you know, so my my one reason why I'd stopped liking theater really was because it was so you know, and the reason why like I was always much more comfortable as a bartender than as a waiter, for mm-hmm. instance, is that like you could just control more by doing less, right, right, yeah, and I think that you know so my my fascination with like infiltrating actors into everyday life is actually not really necessarily very healthy. Or or, or socially productive. wait, wait, before before you talk,
1: could you explain what you mean by that, infiltrating actors into into everyday life?
2: Well, okay, yeah. So a lot of what I do winds up, I'm kind of really, I'm I'm very interested in American acting technique Mm -hmm. and the ways in which it's kind of a shorthand for turning yourself into somebody different. Mm -hmm. And the weird kind of epistemological claims that it makes and like, you know, like the ontological claims that it makes just all these questions about like what happens to you when you are acting in America. Mm-hmm. In Europe, it's a very different arrangement. But in America, there's this real because because it's America, this notion that if you work hard enough, you can turn yourself into anybody. Right. Um, and that applies also to acting. hmm. Um, but what always annoyed me about theater was that it was so obviously constrained Mm -hmm. by all the rituals that go into theater that like, you knew you weren't seeing the real thing. And I'm Mm -hmm. like, well, if they have this technique, you know, what can happen to the technique if you get rid of all the frames that let you know they're acting Mm -hmm. and how does that overlap with what everyone else is doing anyway? Mm -hmm. So I started like, there's a million ways to do it. So the very first project I did was, I filed, I took a bunch of union actors, none of whom, all of whom had day jobs. Mm -hmm because you, you just can't get enough work and it's not well enough paid whether you're union or not. Sure. And I would file actors' equity contracts for them to go to their day jobs. So you'd have like Jeff Beal starring in Word Processor <laughs> or Autumn Dornfield you know, in, a, in an equity production of Babysitter. Mm-hmm. And I would send somebody over to shoot production stills, which is just basically them at work. So, But while the contract was in force, they were legally acting. Oh. Um. And this notion of the day job, uh, you know, as impl- as impl- you know, the day job is always defined against your real thing, right? And the amount of like, you know, nowadays you'd call it effective labor. Like fifteen years ago, you'd call it something else. But yeah. you know, like the amount of performance that went into doing your job, right? It just seemed like with equity contracts, you could quantify that. Huh. So that was one example. Another example was, you know, I. Um, for hosting group shows and I couldn't, I couldn't be at the opening or at the exhibition. I would my contribution to the show would be I'd I'd tell the the curator the gallery director to find an actor who's in a local production mm-hmm. and just ask them to come to the opening in character. Mm-hmm. Um, and because of the American approach, that would actually mean that they would just be dressed normally because most of what Americans do is realism. Right. And everyone, you know, someone asked what my contribution was they were inst- the director or curator was instructed to say oh one of the people here isn't real and then everyone would automatically be looking for the most flamboyant person there it's a, it's a there. murder mystery right, <laughs> right. you know um, and they're like oh that's definitely the actor but like in the art world obviously the most flamboyant person there is not the actor at least not in that sense right Um, so those so those would be like you know the rain I I, I did a whole bunch of different experiments well talk about the
0: Central Park the uh, project because I think that that one also illustrates it oh yeah so in
2: 2015 for a group exhibition in Central Park uh, was sponsored by Creative Time I took a bunch of movies uh, scenes from movies that have been shot in Central Park because you know Central Park signifies Central Park in right. movies, and I, from the '30s until like recently, and I figured out exactly where they were shot, mm. and then I got, and then I hired actors to play the scenes on a loop all day long mm. um, in costume, but with no, with no frame, right. So, what it did was, and all creative time was allowed to do was send out like you know they were allowed to they gave you a little like bird watching kind of map
3: um. with little
2: drawings of what you were looking for, but they were like kind of cartoony drawings, mm-hmm. so that it basically set in motion this thing where like you either and it's, it's central park's huge, right, so yeah. either you walked by this like young <laughs> you walked by this young black man in a tie like lecturing a couple of like kids like <laughs> on a rock on the upper east side, and you're like. I've seen that before <laughs> or you you know or you saw like two women you know dressed for a very fancy picnic like tongue kissing over mm-hmm. and over again <laughs> like on the south side of the park and you're like that looks huh yeah you know and but that's you,
0: if you even knew it was something that was happening versus right. all the people who were just there well you just walk by and right something right. might <clears throat> ring a bell yeah. and
2: some and something and like you know sometimes it was in transitional space sometimes it was in like space where people are sitting you pay more attention like after an hour they would notice that these women kept kissing right. every five minutes but it would take that much time right um so you could just walk by it and not notice you could just walk by it and it would strike you as familiar you could walk by it and you'd be like Fuck, they're doing cruel intentions <laughs> or six degrees of separation. Yeah. But if you went the creative time route, these other things happened where you'd go looking for them and you, um, you know, you, you'd maybe find them or maybe you would like, like, like Vice wrote up, you know, Vice, Vice wrote up the piece and, uh, um, <laughs> you know, they, they, they went to the place where bullets over Broadway where the, where the, you know, don't speak scene mm-hmm, was mm-hmm. shot, which my actors were performing. But there was also a Jorda shoot happening oh. right next to it. And they wrote about that. Because um, <laughs> they thought, well, yeah. Well, you, you go for the most theatrical thing. Right. Yeah. Right. What do so, they know? Like, yeah. yeah. Like, so, you know, the, the quietest one was, was I, I found an ultra marathon runner and I dressed him up like Dustin Hoffman. Did you Marathon Man? And he went around the reservoir all day long. Oh, my God. And the only tell would be at this one spot where Hoffman stops running. Mm. It's kind of like right after the dog thing. And he kind of leans back against the fence. And we had to cite the exact spot where he did it. And they've changed the fence since then. Um, You would catch that if you were standing around looking for him, which nobody would ever do. Right. So that's kind of – but these like – I think I used to call them like tactical nodes of insincerity. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Kind of just, you know, in the – the show I just did at the Brooklyn museum was kind of about a demonic casting agent mm-hmm. who keeps doing this kind of thing. Um, mm-hmm. And I was trying to figure out why I do that kind of thing. So mm-hmm. the, those are the sorts of ways. That I think,
0: I think we'll get back to that yeah. performance like a little later on, but I want to go back a little bit to talk about your interest in acting and maybe if you can put on your professor hat a little bit and like sort of talk to us about like American in particular, American techniques in acting in the 20th century. Yeah. And like, because that seems to be the foundation for what you're interested well, and, in.
1: And also just, you know, it's interesting to me, we have this kind of like, if you think about like, you know, Oscar bait type performances, like you think about like, I don't know, someone like Daniel Day-Lewis, right? And what you're saying about ways in which the distinction between like performance and just living your life is this kind of seems like a kind of like formal idea for you that can be manipulated in one way or another. When we think about, when we think about, I think that when a lot of people think about what it means to per, to perform realistically, they have this notion of an individual immersing themselves, right? It's always an right. like immersion right. in this fictional construct right. that they try to give material shape to through various sometimes extravagant, right? Yeah. Daniel Day Lewis living like a mid cent a mid nineteenth century president for however many months, right. and we're tickled by that.
0: when he's when he's off camera, he's doing that also. Right, the, has, and we all
1: go like, "Oh my gosh, what commitment?" Well, and
0: also the I think the push pull of almost everyone where they're like that's some good acting but like even in saying that almost everyone knows that you're acknowledging the 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 fakery
1: right Right. and that we can't when we're watching the performance get out of our heads everything that we know about it coming to the performance
2: right well but i think the the missing element all like you know but the the other the other missing element in all this is work yeah the idea of work and i think you know and i um Brief plug for a book I have coming out with a friend of mine mm-hmm. in a few weeks, named Shawnee Annalo. And Shawnee wrote a book called Method Acting and Its Discontents, mm-hmm. and she's a performer and also um, a professor at Fordham. And she th- she's thought a lot about the psychopathology of method acting mm. and the idea of method acting. Um, so we talk a lot about this, and especially the element of work. And so I want to counterpose for a minute, like Daniel Day Lewis, mm-hmm. um, to Brad Pitt. Mm-hmm. So I've seen Once Upon a Time in America in Hollywood Hollywood twice. Mm -hmm. I really want to see it again, although I don't think I'm going to get a chance to. I
1: saw it once. I I also want to see it again.
2: One of the super astonishing things about it is that both times I did not actually notice Brad Pitt acting Mm. until like three quarters of the way through. And that was only because I was like, wait, what has Brad Pitt been doing, right? Yeah. (laughs) Whereas like, Whereas like DiCaprio's work, yeah, is really praised. Yeah. but the thing about the thing about Brad Pitt and also Annie McDowell's daughter mm-hmm. is the I forget what her name is. Um, who plays the Manson girl? Oh yeah, yeah. They are so. Who plays Squeaky? No no, 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 no. The the, the one oh, who the one. the one who has the like right, flirtation right. Yeah, with yeah, yeah, uh, Brad yeah, They are so at ease yeah mm-hmm. they're so chill yeah. in a way that Lena Dunham's not in a way that you know, <laughs> DiCaprio DiCaprio's not, is not yeah. in a way that the amazing little girl who's playing a method actor yeah. is not right yeah. so that you don't notice he's acting at all right right people like Streep or Daniel Day-Lewis yeah or Brando in his worst performances <laughs> but not not actually in Last Tango which mm-hmm. if you can bear to watch it is kind of an amazing performance yeah but like but you always see them working. And mm. the funny thing about the method, right, is like that was some great acting. He really vanished into the role. Yeah. But you're like, I really saw Daniel Day Lewis working at vanishing into the role yeah. every fucking second. Right. Yeah. So a lot of what a lot of what like great acting is in America is throwing off sparks. Mm-hmm. And yeah. the sparks are of your work or your immersion. But there's this weird notion of like Heath Ledger really vanished into the Joker. I never forgot that Heath Ledger was vanishing into the Joker <laughs> right, at yeah. every second. Um So there's this element of like the relationship of American acting to labor, or the American, then the notion of American acting to work. Well, they
1: would and they would say craft, right? It's my.
2: They would say craft. So, so the story I always tell when I'm talking about this is that is of I I got to go backstage at the National Theatre in London, like in the '90s, I think, and. There's a green room. I mean backstage, there's a million stages, but there's there's a bar. there's a green room bar. whoa, like most like most theaters in Europe have canteens, yeah. you know. Um, that's not the unusual thing, but the unusual thing was like you know they do a lot of Shakespeare. and you'd see you'd see like people in full costume at the bar, you know who didn't have huge roles, drinking pints. yeah. Um, you know, between their acts, and it's not—it's not like English actors don't take themselves, haven't been infected by the American like method, right? You know, but that, but it's like prior to prior to the 20th century, prior to Stanislavski, basically, there was a debate over whether or not you were supposed to throw yourself... Whether it was better to believe you were the role, or whether it was better to hold at arm's length. Right. But for the most part, in spite of that debate, it was kind of understood as a job. Right. Just to say, it's acting. And that's the source of the famous... It's useful, but it's annoying. And this is the hundredth time it's going to come up. The famous like Olivier Hoffman episode during Marathon Man, where Hoffman shows up right. looking like shit, and Olivier is about to do the dentist scene, and he's like, what happened to you? You look terrible. And... Often details his preparations for the tooth extraction mm-hmm. scene, and and Olivia is like, you know, why don't you just act? <laughs> like, and it's like ha 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 ha. <laughs> but but that kind of goes to the two ideas of what acting were, which mm-hmm. is like you know, vocation versus avocation. Mm-hmm. Or so I mean, if you can act, you can act. Like you, you learn the lines, you do some work, get the accent right, you know. But you don't have to be it. Right. And it's a really peculiarly American perversion I mean Stanislavski is the first acting theorist who's like, who feels weird not feeling it on stage yeah but he lays he creates a system where you basically and that and that and he feels weird because he's being asked to do realism right and Chekhov is implicitly making certain demands of an audience and a production you know basically Basically Stanislavski erects a fourth wall because realism has reached a certain artistic pitch mm-hmm. that actors are starting to feel really awkward right. if they don't imagine these structures. Right. Um, but Stanislavski's approach is always, it's all tricks to forget that you're on stage. Yeah. It's not about really believing you're right. the. It's about like not freezing up. Yeah. Somewhere in America, via the group theater, via the Actors Studio, which was started by Kazan mm-hmm. and then and Clerman, and then Strasburg takes it over. It becomes this insane vision of complete self transformation, right? Which is not very well articulated. It's yeah. not, I mean, they never really say you're supposed to become more and, yourself. And, and this we should and, and this we role. should
1: say is associated probably with techniques like sense memory, yeah. where in order to like properly like inhabit a a particular emotional state you should draw on your own experiences in order. Is that, am I I getting this right? Well,
2: almost. Okay. That is affective memory. Sorry. Affective memory. It's
1: about managing then the kind of inherent limitations of like the human brain, right? That we have certain capacities or incapacities. And unless you're ready to like say a certain kind of monk, dedicate yourself to the, you know, the cultivation of mindfulness or whatever. Right. Um, you're not. You're going to be subject to these inborn weaknesses, these inborn limitations, just because you're a person. Right. Yeah. And, yeah.
2: And it's a very. But it's also. And just because it's a job. Yeah. And you can't focus on your job twenty four seven. Right. But, or
1: even sometimes for ten minutes at a stretch. Right. <laughs> and so this is
2: like a variation of the peruke, right? Mm-hmm. Where you like ways of looking checked in while you're actually like you know checking your email, mm-hmm. but it looks like you're working. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and Stanislavski is very. Generous and flexible about these moments of inattention mm-hmm. at the Actors Studio, they never quite articulate whether a good performance is supposed to be losing yourself in the role or losing yourself in yourself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And Strasberg, because he's a, because he's a complete fraud, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> you know, is very vague about this uh-huh. um, because he has no fucking idea what he's talking about half the time. So um, <laughs>
1: there's an interesting other podcast to be done about that comment,
2: but.
3: Oh Go on. Yeah, you know? well.
2: Um, <laughs> but he shaped everything. I mean, I'm, yeah. I really, I don't like gurus. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And I, you know, so, um, so with the resulting thing, which is a really, if you if you talk to, I mean, English actors are kind of method infected at this point. And like, no one really does, no one would say they're a method actor anymore. Mm-hmm. But so method acting wound up being the the province of three acting teachers who had all been with the acting studio and they all split off in different directions. So there's Stella Adler, and there's Sanford Meisner, and there's Lee Strasberg. And they all had very different approaches to what it meant to be an actor, but somehow Strasberg, with the actor studio, he got to be he got to be the kind of like focal point, even though like Adler and Meisner had much more sane approaches to this and much more <laughs> mm-hmm. well articulated approaches mm-hmm. to this. Um, but if you ask you know, so basically all acting school, all contemporary realist acting training is descended from that. All commercial acting training right. in America is yeah. descended from that. Right. If you talk to, like, say, a German actor, they think you're they think you're insane. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, the idea. I mean, for them, like, yeah, a character is a hand puppet, mm-hmm. and you wear it over here, mm-hmm. and you're not mm-hmm. supposed to vanish, um, because it's just acting. Well, right? and it's just and, and it's just a job, right? I mean, because
0: I think that that's also an interesting avenue that you mentioned before, where it's this. There is something very particularly American also about the immersion. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, you, you're never off the clock. Right. You right. know, like, it's very, like, late 20th century America, yeah. or even right. mid-century, really. Yeah. It's right. like, your job is everything. You should really, like, be that all 24 hours a yeah, day. Yeah, you should right. love your job. And, yeah, it should and, be the only thing that defines you, because it funny. will allow you to, like, somehow you know, supersede and, your, your but humanity. But what's
2: interesting though is that it's a really, I mean, my, my friend Shani wrote this great article for um, called The Great Recession about post-crash acting. Mm. And what she noticed was that stars like, you know, Robert Pattinson or Jennifer Lawrence or Michael B. Jordan mm. are actually, or Kristen Stewart, I mean, they're stars because they project no affect at all. Yeah. yeah. And her theory was that like, you know, post-war, post-World War II, Yeah the storyline was conformity, cultural conformity yeah, and I mean, artists were supposed to like really like wild man out like right. Pollock or Brando or like the, everybody in white t-shirts, yeah. know, just yeah. like bearing their souls. Yeah. Right? And also, and, and also
1: melodrama and, and yeah. you know, you know, right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And
2: like hysterical self exposure and, you know, and, and, <laughs> right. But now that, now that affect is supposed to be performed 24 <laughs> seven, you know, to get you, you know, to get you just sponsorship. Yeah. Right. Like, like what a star is is always gonna be in reaction to that. So the stars are now like relative to how the economy works completely pulled back and right. they're not gonna give you anything. But yeah. also
1: like in, in a way right That that is like the kind of locus of their like relatability right? Like their affectlessness like like so you, like it, their act of listlessness reveals, re- re- you know, reflects the, my drained
2: state. Well, well, stars always do. Stars always do what you would like to do in public, right? So if you were like, you know, if you were like, you know, a Richard Yates character back then, yeah, like all you wanted to see was someone going bashed <laughs> in public right. and getting praised, right. yeah. You know, now, yeah, now when you know, now when you just have to produce yourself constantly, like. What you really want to do in public is have no effect right. at all. You're right. just
1: like, wow! An hour and a half of someone reading a book sounds. I don't
2: know. I don't. Yeah, have, I don't have to prove I, I that it. I want to be here.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> I mean, I do find all those actors' performances really compelling. Like, I, yeah. I'm very interested in well, what's happening. I'm like, because it is this is odd thing where, like, Kristen Stewart, I think, is a great actor, and I saw a movie that I'm not going to remember now. Recently, um, it was the uh, was it the As- Asias? Yeah, yeah, the shop. Uh, personal shopper personal shopper, personal shopper yeah. which I loved I thought it was great I don't know if it's going to stand up but I was like what was amazing about it is that she, ha- she has no affect right. and it's just and like, that
1: was what people criticized her for initially
0: yeah exactly and they still do I think to a certain degree well she's definitely we're so, like
1: critics have like come back around for
0: yeah, sure yeah but I thought it was fascinating because it's like there's you kind of see a human drama in a different way yeah. when mm-hmm. you have someone who's not tearing their hair out and screaming mm-hmm. and al pacinoing all over the place right um, and yet
2: you still i mean the inter- yeah you still see them working to do that yeah you know so but this this goes back to like you know but that that is the weird so yeah i mean that's that and like the restraint it takes not to show yourself at this point right but you're still seeing work and i think what was so kind of insane to me about brad pitt's performance in once upon a time in america is that like hollywood Sorry, Hollywood. But it's just, you know, I, I guess the, as all this relates to work and like, you know, is that in both cases you're seeing work. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And the weird thing about that performance was it just didn't seem like work. And it's extremely rare yeah. that you actually see something where you're not stressed out. Like you get stressed out watching Kristen Stewart, the same way you get stressed yeah. out watching Marlon Brando, but yeah. for two totally different reasons. Right. Yeah. But, or you get really stressed out watching James Dean. Yeah. Yeah. James Dean, affect machine. Yeah. Yeah. But like, but with the Brad Pitt thing, I was like, man, I I just want to watch this happen forever. Yeah. (laughs) I would watch you feed your dog four more times. Yeah. yeah. For sure. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So,
1: um, so, uh, so this is the kind of like background to all of this, right? Uh, to, or, or this is some well, of the background.
2: The, the one other thing I'd say, mm-hmm. just background-wise, which relates to realism again, is like, if, so one of the things I was really interested in is like, what what happens if you do all the work, yeah. but there's no framework for applause, but right. you still had to do all the work. Right. So mm. does a person, does a fake person in a crowd who did all of this work to become this person have greater density somehow right. than someone who's just accidentally themselves? Right.
1: Right and right. like and, and, and would
2: there be any tiny cues that you would notice just mm. by how hard this person is working at being themselves
1: right but like um, there's always a context for that performance right like what no one is just blankly being themselves in a vacuum everyone is always being themselves somewhere doing something yeah right even if i'm doing nothing i'm i'm doing something right um so i mean i guess i'm wondering like has anyone ever has that it seems impossible to me that, like one of your actors doing one of these performances in a context in which no one else was aware that a performance was occurring, someone would turn and go, "What are you, What are you doing? Like you're working. You're you working seem like you're to, uh, working really you, hard. You seem like you're sweating. Yeah, yeah. To be you know to on this walk to the subway, no, they which is wouldn't. your right?
2: They wouldn't. Mm-hmm. So the it, well, the but one that's they- that's where the pathos comes in, right? Right. You know, it's like.
1: Well, the one thing I
0: I wanted to, to like bring up, which is sort of related to the things we're talking about, and that we had I'd mentioned to you before, was like that I'm interested in as like maybe like an avenue to explore is our obsession with characters who play uh, people in like deep cover. Right, yeah. like mm-hmm. doubling, and then and then yeah. your immediate reaction to that was to talk was to say uh, talk about actors playing robots, yeah.
1: which is a whole <laughs> oh, other thing. Right. Like, Wait. I'm going to propose a quick break right here.
3: Sure. All right. Sorry, we had a break. We're back. We're
1: we're talking. Gabe, restate the thing you're about to say.
0: Well, I think there's like it it, it crosses genres. It's not just literally the you know police procedural deep cover, deep cover the film, uh, as well as you you know uh, Rush or uh, uh, Donnie Brasco Mm -hmm. or any number of sort of crime dramas that involve or mob dramas that involve people like becoming something that they are not cruising, and then that oh cruising the ultimate becoming something that they are not in order to solve a crime, right. but also in order to show off how great of an actor they are. Right. That right. They not only can, you know, disappear into Wait, the role game. of the cop, oh, to but face. disappear into the role of the cop as the role of the mob, the uh, whatever, you know, up and comer. Right. Um, but then there's also like six degrees of separation. There's like, uh, as you mentioned, uh, uh, what's it called? The high Smith, um,
1: talented Mr Ripley. yeah
0: lots of lots of different movies involve these kinds of an actor plays a role and then that role requires that 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 character to, to become another role. Mm. It's a showy thing, right mm-hmm. And I think it's like a minor obsession. In film. Oh, for sure. And I just wondered if, you know, that was like something that you had been interested in or like that you think, is it just that? Is it just like more ways to show off your, you know, deep investment in the work? Or is it something else that we're interested in because as an audience, maybe we are always interacting with the fakery of acting anyway?
2: Well, I just think, I mean, I think the there's very few cases, and like paradoxically, the only one that really comes to mind forcefully is Tootsie, mm, where because mm-hmm. a lot of the time these deep cover movies, and this is sort of why I brought the robot thing, like, yeah. like they rely a lot on the audience understanding the dramaturgy and a good actor. So basically, mo- like most of these performances. It, all that matters is that you know that the actor is in deep cover. And then the less work they do to try to become somebody else, the more effective the deep cover is because the cover is verified by the fact that everyone takes them seriously. So, you yeah. know, like in... Black Clownsman, for instance, makes mm. this like yeah. perfectly obvious, but basically, no one changes their performance when they're in deep cover. They just change their clothes, right? <laughs> right? The, like the inverse like, of that. Like, is... but with Tootsie, which is this really yeah. weird exception. Yeah, he goes so far in the other direction that you actually sympathize with the actor playing. You actually sympathize yeah. with the actor playing <laughs> Dorothy Michaels. Yeah. Um,
1: the the inverse of that is is when actors play double roles, right? Oh, like twins or something. Yeah, when they're or they're two characters or they're doing Mm. scenes with themselves, where that you have to do more in order to like draw the distinction. Mm
2: -hmm. Or you know, like a movie, like yeah, the funny thing. I mean, actually, I think is it doesn't quite work that way. Like you look at Suspiria, Mm. and you know, even when it came out, there were still more roles that Tilda Swinton was playing Mm -hmm. that nobody knew she was playing. (laughs) Right, right. Like I mean, she's only billed to play one role. Right, and then every leak that she was playing two. But it wasn't until the movie opened that everyone found out she was playing three. Right. Um, and in those cases, she's radically transforming herself. But that's because the characters are actually different people. Yes. Yeah. Um, but for the most part, when it's like one person changing their personality or like one person playing twins, they really tend to rely on the clothes more, mm-hmm. or
0: or or gestures, or or like or physical or affects. Accents. Yeah. 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 Um, but like I saw a preview for a, a Paul Rudd uh, series that's coming to Netflix where he plays himself and then this like version of some it might be a robot like some mm. version of himself has been created that is like the happy version of himself mm. and then right. like lots of bleak stuff ensues um but it it, it seemed very showy to me even in the preview it well it's like, also
2: because it's been announced right like, there was a period there was a period when like the the greatest test of an actor is you know, ability was to go full retard as, as, <laughs> as, 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 Ben Stiller put it, right, or, right. you know, but then, and then there was a period when like the greatest test of an actor's versatility was, you know, to go deep cover, but right, that right. actually required less. But this is why I brought it up the robot thing was yeah. the thing I always found really funny about, and it sort of relates to deep cover thing. I always found really funny about like aliens pretending to be humans or robots pretending to be humans mm-hmm. or whatever, or demons pretending to be humans mm-hmm. is that all, all a good actor has to do to play that is just play the character that the robot has to play. They don't have to play the robot playing the character because they're already the robot. Right. So if you're like, I'm supposed to play a robot playing, (laughs) you know, Playing like, like a high school cheerleader I'll just go ahead and play the high school cheerleader right. because the robot is persuasive right <laughs> but when the robot malfunctions yeah or the demon then suddenly you have to do like that crazy like alien yodeling that Donald Sutherland does and um, you know in Invasion of the Body Snatchers right yeah. or suddenly you have to start doing this crazily technical or a home and alien, yeah. Right. Yeah. Home an alien. Yeah. yeah or Paul Apprentice in the Stepford Wives right you know who does this great malfunction waltz or Brent,
1: or Brent Spiner constantly or but Brent I guess Spiner that's a constantly. little bit I guess a little bit different because he's an android
2: Sure. Yeah, but and, and, but like, Ian, but Ian Holmes a great example. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we're like, but so basically, the less convincing the robot is, the more work the actor has to do to be convincingly a robot. Right. Yeah. Oh, right, <laughs> Which yeah. makes no fucking sense. <laughs> no, well, I mean, because they it, should have to do more work to be more convincing. Well, it makes it. But it, they have to do more work to be less convincing. I, I mean,
1: I guess I would ask then: Is this just about like kind of like our expectations about acting, right? Because we expect like a performance that's all about verisimilitude. Right. Right. And. So when you're like, yeah, they they have to do less to do more, right? Um, but then they have to We do want more them to work. We right. want them to like. We yeah. want
2: them to be Daniel Day Lewis. We right. want like the sweat of their fucking brow.
1: I mean, would we get? I guess in Aliens too, we do get the the robot like Lance Hendrickson, mm-hmm. He never breaks down in that way. He maintains the same right. robot affect the entire time.
0: But that's mm-hmm. kind of what Lance Henriksen. <laughs> well, well, that's kind of yeah, that's, yeah. That,
2: that's kind of the Christian Bale problem too. Yeah. Where right. you're like, <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, it's Lance Hendrickson. It's it's. Um, it's Lance, yeah, it's Lance Hendrickson. It's like the the police chief and the or the chief of the special unit in The Wire. You know, the, right? The, yeah, yeah. You know, who who is basically Lance? Also, Lance Hendrickson. right? Just kind or, like,
1: or yeah. I mean, I guess the er example is like Harrison Ford, right, in Blade Runner.
2: Wait, see, well, um, I mean, where I'm... you know he <laughs> yeah.
1: turns in this affectless performance, and you're like, yes, is this Nora performance? Like, and then the question is whether that was a good, if that was like, is is Keep performing a malfunctioning human or a perfectly or does he just hate android? Ridley Scott? <laughs> <laughs> Which they, might they well, both, I mean, the they amazing thing they disagree. I mean, they disagree, right? Because Ridley Scott was like, "No, he's an android," and, and Harrison Ford is like, "No, he's a human." Like, right, they don't agree right, about that. Right,
0: mm-hmm.
2: and, this, and that's that's,
1: that's yeah. the well, and then
0: for Blade Runner nerds, there's all kinds of conspiracy theories about how many of the characters who are not identified as replicants might be replicants right. also. Right. Mm-hmm. But, like, how do you know? Yeah. How do you know that I mean, you are it, it, not a replicator? It,
1: it's so bound up with the with the material and the source material I and what the movie. film is actually about, right? It's kind of an unfair example, I guess. Um, because that's, in some way, the entire point of the movie is, like, that's the question it's trying to get you to ask. It is trying to pull you away from the sort of... Um, um, from the diegetic frame a little bit, right? Trying to pull right. you out and be like... Well, I'm ob- we're obviously trying to get you to ask questions about you, right. not just to revel in this But, I, but, I no, think,
2: I'm, just, but I'm just cracking up at the idea of like, the, what's, that, what's the test called? It's not... Um, oh, the Voight-Kamp test. Voight-Kamp yeah, the, voight- test the Voight-Kamp right. test, but if it's like, you know, if it's like Gabe taking the voight test, and they're like, <laughs> sure. you know, do you know this like super obscure Black Flag album? And he's, like, <laughs> and he's, like, and he's like, yeah, I know it. And the yeah. next thing you know, like somebody shoots him.
1: Yeah. Like, he's like, Greg... Gin is the best. <laughs> right. member How is this of interview Black going Black. to
2: end? Yeah. Do I get the job? Um, I'll tell you about my mother. <laughs> There's a
0: turtle in the desert. Um, what I was going to say was, well, the other thing that that it's contingent on is our understanding of what a robot would be like, right. which none of us know because we've never met a robot.
1: That right. we know of. That
0: we know of. But seriously, yeah. there's no robots like any of those robots. So yeah. like, That's another thing that I think is fascinating about those portrayals is like they're fulfilling some fantasy of what a robot could be that no one knows what it is. Right. But, and therefore, it's like great acting. Although, I don't know, will a robot character ever win an Oscar? Has a robot character ever won an Oscar? No. Haley Joel Osment? Uh,
1: Haley, did he win?
0: I don't know. Did that movie win? I think it won something.
1: I don't know if that won we anything. That brush I'm up on sure.
0: our Oscar history. I asked the question. I can't possibly. A ro- That's a good question. Is a robot. Character or will or robot? will it? Will it? I mean, will it? <laughs> will, well, will a robot character well, this ever? Is,
2: this is, there was a you know, long debate over like what Andy Circus. This is the inverse. Uh, yes. Of, like what he's eligible for. Right. Um, Which exposes
0: all of our prejudices about what acting yeah. is and mm-hmm. can be. Right. Yeah.
1: Um, right, because of course, like you can imagine very easily a lot of actors grumbling and being like why the fuck should he get the award? Like, it's it's almost all CGI, and what did he right. really have to do, right? Did have to, you know... But we have all kinds of other questions about, well, the motion... Like, the CGI doesn't create a character, right? It yeah. just creates a shape.
2: Yeah, and it's still tracking his face. And, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, so...
0: We talked about what's it called, the the Blue People movie last Avatar. We talked about Avatar last episode, oh, really? so I feel like we shouldn't. I don't know but, if you have something to say about Avatar. If, this may you? be an Avatar podcast. I have nothing to say. About okay, it. great. That'll
2: be our next podcast. Um, let's see. Uh, I would love to pretend that I had not seen Avatar, but I wouldn't want anyone to explain it to me.
0: So I, I, I wanted, well, I'm not, we can talk about that more if we want to, but I don't want to. <laughs> um, I do, however, David, want you to talk about. Um, the project that you did around the clack, and like right. maybe how that brings together some of the threads here, because it also brings us sort of to our current political moment. Yeah.
2: It, it's Let me inherently. get some more water. Yeah. Sure. Oh, you sure. Take another. We'll pause <laughs>
0: So yeah, I wanted you to talk a little bit about the, the your a recent project you did. Uh, I call it the Clack Project. It's not actually called that, but you can talk right. more about what it is and sort of what you're interested in.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think you know the the one thing that keeps going through my work is again and again is like I like you know I like these very um, convincing performances that no one knows happened. Right? Yeah, And like all the way back to me being like, I don't know the Empire Strikes Back because there is a way in which like when I was like studying 19th century literature, it was always like, you know, the real like Flaubert, Flaubert style realism mm. is all about remaining all these feints to keep yourself invisible. Yeah. I mean, at least in like Madame Bovary. So the, the, you know, the idea being you could actually control a lot more territory if no one knew you were controlling it and mm. that actually vanishing took a lot more work than showing up. Yeah, Like when I started out as a director, I was... And, and this was, is to say
1: this is about Flaubert's comment that like the author should be like a god in the universe everywhere present and nowhere seen, yeah. right? That's the sort of Flaubertian... Yeah, line. yeah. yeah.
2: and I think the, that notion that you could... The only way to saturate every particle of the reality that you were creating was to... I mean, that that, that would only happen as you were vanishing. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, in a way, like when I started out, I was a pretty flashy director. But then I realized that like it actually it was easier to be flashy and to show up and to be visible with through gestures, mm-hmm. but the gestures kind of took people out of it the same way you could see an actor working hard. And what I was really interested in was like, just how far away you could vanish and how much work it would take to saturate at that degree, which eventually had to draw me out of a theater. So I went mm-hmm. from doing like, you know, magical realist plays to doing realist plays and then I just went, I just didn't do anything. Yeah. Um, we didn't not do anything. <laughs> we, no, but you but you mean, left the theater, yeah. you left, left, the theater, left, the left the space. left but I think that the way that relates, so, my interest is always in the kind of weird, like the better you do realism, the less anyone will know you're doing it and the mm-hmm. pathos of that. And that has to do with like most forms of virtuosity. Mm-hmm. Right? And right. Like, um, so I'd done all these projects, you know, with like actors and thinking about like robots and things about just different ways in which like both desperately wanting to be the center of attention, but also wanting to vanish and this mm-hmm. tension between the two things. And, you know, and I think like, Flaubert level realism is a way of having it both ways, which mm-hmm. you can be the center of attention, but no one knows you're trying. <laughs> right? No one knows you're there. Yeah. Um, so, in the midst of you know my general thinking about this comes the election and the subsequent like f- week long debate over crowd sizes mm-hmm. between the women's march and the inauguration and the inauguration and mm-hmm. Obama's inauguration and then the accusations of fake protesters and then da 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 da. Yeah. And, you know. And the fake crowd at the announcement of. And the fake crowd years. at, at well, the real well, paid the, crowd. The, well, the real pay, but also, like, yeah, the fake crowd at the CIA, the fake crowd at his campaign announcement, the fact that he infiltrated the CIA speech the day after the inauguration with his own employees to mm-hmm. clap. And so all these things are getting thrown in, but obviously they dovetail with my own interests in. You know what's what's more subtle than an actor on stage is an actor in the audience. Mm. But then also the ways in which you know. So I started researching this, and I realized there's a whole industry. I mean, on the one hand, there are actually companies that will organize paid that you can pay them to organize protests. Sure. On the other hand, um, it's an accusation more than it is in actuality. And my intru- and I also became very interested in the accusation itself. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, all the way back to the first paid, the first paid, so a clack, which is what gave, you know, a clack is specifically a 19th century group of, um, applause blackmailers like an, (laughs) like, and what they do is they, they hold, they would hold a production hostage. So the producer would have to pay them off. Otherwise they would start booing Mm -hmm. while at the same time,
1: like a ticket block or something.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it was a big reciprocal thing because the, they also, clacks would also be hired to boost audience, you know, so they,
1: so they could, so they could boo you or they could,
2: pro, yeah. Like producers knew that people are more apt to applaud as somebody else's applauding. right? So they would seed, you know, friendly faces the same way we seed friendly faces at our book launches the same way, we, you know, like yeah. pretty much everywhere the way, you know, the way. The way a junior faculty member will feel pressured to ask the first question, right? Uh, you know, yeah. like. But
0: it became but, something of an industry where you could hire people to show up, yeah. and and you yeah. could pay them a little bit more to clap, right, or not,
2: and not, well, or slash not, and move. there wind up being competing interests. So this, so you know, like mm-hmm. the producers paying them, but the star is paying them extra to do double clapping at their <laughs> thing or to boo their rival, mm-hmm. or like pretty much they're getting they're getting money from every side, right. And there's, there's specialists. This is, emerges over a 50-year period in the Parisian theater system. There's specialists in laughing. There's specialists in crying. So
1: there were people who were sought after because they were good laughers.
2: Well, they're clacks. They're run by a chef de clack. Mm-hmm. And they're, they're rampant blackmailers because they will boo if you don't pay them out. Right. And the theaters to get it under control just start instituting their own claques. Mm-hmm. so they have their own proprietary clacks <laughs> that they don't share just to get it under control. But this also, this also was court- anybody
1: actually seeing these plays? Right. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, this is the this is the question because at a certain point it became more like a liturgy mm-hmm. than mm. you know, which is to say right. that like actors would say their lines, people would applaud, right. they would overdo it. Everybody in the audience knew that there was a clack. Right. You they know? were all aware. Everyone and, and was might aware. Have all, you know, so, and then like in the same way that you don't, the same way like when the analogy I used in the Brooklyn show is, you know, like when a friend sits you down and like, you know, like plays you their favorite piece of music and uh-huh. they're just like looking at you uh-huh. and you actually <laughs> want to like hold back your response just to spite them. Right. You know, in the same way, at a certain point, it got to the point where the only people clapping were the audience, were the clack, because the audience resented the presence <laughs> of the clack so much. That they did. But so it went through all these, it went through all these weird iterations. But the larger point is that so the first recorded clack is for Nero, mm-hmm. and Nero, you know, um, Nero would give these performances, these theatrical performances, and these musical performances, and he had his own, um, he had his own troops. Mm-hmm. Applaud for him, uh, and naturally, if his troops are applauding for him, everyone in the everyone in the civilian audience is also gonna going start to start applauding, right? You know. Yeah, um, or, yeah, Claire. But we know this. We only know this through, and now I'm going to forget their names. Thanks um, think Tonyus. We know this through a couple of Roman historians who are really anti-Nero, like mm-hmm, they come mm-hmm. 50 years later. All of which is to say that. On the one hand, paid applauders do exist, or suborned applauders do exist. On the other hand, whenever you want to delegitimize someone's popular support, you can always, all the way back to Rome, uh, have recourse to you know to right. to incentive, right? Yeah, one way or the other. You're accusing right. them of only doing because they're scared, only doing because they got paid. Only right. so the accusation winds up being as interesting as the actual fact of it. And mm. in the case of Trump, in the it was it was both. Mm. Um, <laughs> so I wound up talking to people who run fake crowd agencies. I wound up talking to the casting agent who cast his campaign announcement. Oh wow! But she didn't know that she was casting his campaign announcement because uh, that's not how it works. Right. Um, and then various kind of ways of like funneling nonprofit money through consultancies in order to be able to do things like this. Mm. So there's all these accusations of bad faith rolling around, and then I'm thinking like, what does it mean to really be there what mean for the crowd? And so I wound up, maybe, I wound up doing this exhibition at the Brooklyn Museum kind of around this like concept and the centerpiece of it was a monologue, like an hour long monologue um, kind of delivered by a professional fake crowd person uh, Mm. talking about what had happened to their psyche in the course of doing this. That's Mm. their entire biography and they bomb out of LA trying to be actors because they just can't feel enough in their roles (sighs) and then they finally wind up in New York and they wind up working for... a extras cast background casting agency, mm-hmm. which I mean, these exist. Yeah, sure. and, um, but that back, and he loves it because he can just go to his jobs, you know, where like listen to audiobooks and like just let the camera pan over him. Mm-hmm. And all he has to do is wear a costume. He doesn't have to perform feeling. Right. So for him, it's like perfect. It's like armor. It's like a shield. Mm. But what he doesn't know is that the, the casting agent, um, is kind of a, cultist um, or lunatic and uh-huh. that that she's slowly pulling together her extras right. for a ritual um, <laughs> but, but in the meantime she very slowly gets into more political stuff and mm-hmm. she starts like doing she starts like supplying extras for you know product launches and then she starts doing it for like events and then she starts doing it for like rallies and then she starts mm-hmm. doing it for protests which turns out to be really lucrative and all this comes from the biography of an actual guy who oh, wow. actually runs these things mm-hmm. and then um but then finally she she manages she uses her extras to summon a demon <laughs> and, and, and they are all possibly vaporized oh, That's amazing. this actor they, I mean the extras may have all been completely vaporized this actor has found themselves condensed in a gallery in the Brooklyn museum. (laughs) They don't really know how they got there. Um, and they just start desperately making shit up and that's how their story starts. And
0: uh, one, one aspect of this is that they, they show up in the gallery space, uh, in the outfit of like a maintenance person. Mm -hmm. So at first or, you know, per, per, like, conceivable that people would be like oh it's just the custodian mm-hmm. here right. starting and a then they and then they yeah. start having a conversation with yeah. one and then several and then everybody right.
1: it, it it's almost like the, and this is probably off base in a lot of ways but it, it reminds me of like role-playing games right where you are moving through this space and then you encounter a stranger who like just happens to be there and you're aware that they're there for a reason um and to the extent that a digital object can be aware, they're aware that they're for a reason, but the game is in trying to discern what the reason is or what their presence might mean or what all of this has to tell you about the larger story that you are embedded in, which in a role-playing game, often you don't know what the story quite, you only know part of the story um, as you begin it, right? There's some sort of like, almost seems like there's some sort of game aspect. To this, or that there's like a sort of game aesthetic, uh, or 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 uh, uh, concept there in some way.
2: Yeah, partially. I mean, I think, you know, I think the, but the the clack the clack thing winds up being more again like right, yeah. you know like why do you clap right because your friends are clapping right. and so the the upshot of this is the opening night right I was supposed to give you know an artist lecture <laughs> the night the exhibition opened and. I hired the same casting agency that supplied Trump's <laughs> campaign announcement <laughs> to populate the audience with with extras. Um and their instructions were just when I was done, just to clap and not stop clapping until everybody left the room. That's amazing. And they were like, Do you want us to do like extra clapping? And I was like, No, 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 just do you want us to be really enthusiastic? I was like, No, just be normal, just, mm-hmm. just keep clapping. But I didn't actually know like I I mean the first the first weird thing that happened was I went into the lobby to meet the casting agent because that's where they, they were and yeah. and I was looking around and I I went over to her and I was like I was like wait how many of these are yours mm-hmm. and I was like the whole lobby <laughs> the Brooklyn Museum she's like that's sixty percent I was Whoa. like what and then <laughs> um but then half you know I'd forgotten. Like, halfway through the lecture, I was so kind of nervous about other things that mm-hmm. I for, totally forgotten that I'd hired this, <laughs> <people>. <laughs> yeah. and then I was like, "Oh, yeah, okay, I wonder what this is going to be like." And the weird thing about the clack, and it was a very 19th century thing, mm-hmm. is that it really works, yeah, you know, because these guys were so and it doesn't work the way I thought what was going to happen was like everyone was going to realize at a certain point, everybody's going to realize at once what I had done and kind of give me the finger and be like oh, that, <laughs> that was that was funny, not funny." we're getting a drink thank you right that was cute but that's not how it works at all which is like the odd like the applause kind of builds normally and then it kind of ebbs a little bit but then there these it people keeping it back, yeah back. yeah and it came back at least three or four times and I, and i am like also i had not figured out how to get off stage <laughs> while pinioned by this applause but i'm watching people like kind of look around and like poke each other you know as they're like you know don't feed this like right. can't you tell It it was really, it was really odd. And it was really odd being like at the center of like. That's
1: crazy. It was weird. That's amazing.
2: Well, it's interesting
0: how it it replicates something that's, that really happens, which is like you're at a a music performance and the clapping, maybe you're not a super fan, but there are super fans in the audience and they're just going to keep clapping as long as it takes to get them back on stage. stage. Or, you know, or if it's like a classical performance, just like to show their devotion mm-hmm. you know and then also when they're this, like
2: bravo and you just yeah and you're like is this gonna yeah. keep going
0: i guess i'll i guess i'll clap again i don't right. even know why i'm clapping yeah. it's just what what we're doing right. and in the same way as you know uh in a in a movie theater if people laugh you're more likely to think it's funny
1: or or you know? on a train if someone is on there begging or it's showtime and they do the performances sometimes they get no money but if one person gives money Than other people, I mean, we've all watched this happen, um, then other people are more likely to pull out a dollar and throw it in the hat.
0: Yeah, and this understanding, I mean, this understanding that I have about the idea of the crowd in 20th century entertainments as a sort of, like, uh, unreproducible kind of energy and experience. And this is something that, you know, people have written lots about in terms of, Movies going to your laptop or to your TV screen at home, rather than people actually going to the theater, and it really is different. Yeah, um, it's different in terms of how you experience it. It's different in terms of your reaction, like your feeling afterward. Is like you don't know what it would have been like if you were just watched it on a TV, and we now have the experience of like doing both. But yeah, um, but it is this thing that changes your behavior. Although it is just, it is, it just is your behavior when you are in the moment. Yeah. Um. And that's, I think, like kind of a radical intervention that like, like you're, you're thinking about and doing and like the performance that you did. Yeah.
2: It was, Um, but all in the same way that being alienated from a crowd is a very odd feeling. mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, like, like we're talking about like being at the protest, but not really feeling it. Right. Yeah. And then you feel like you stand out a little bit because you're not like everyone can tell you're not feeling it. Right. But
1: you feel you do, but you probably don't actually. Right. Um, no one's going to be like that guy. at The protest looks so bored. He's not. Or like, we should
2: invite him to the next protest. <laughs> or, no, this a is a stranger I, that we've never met before. This is why I always think back to that, like that one scene in Strangers on a Train, which just kills me when everybody's head is turning mm-hmm. back and forth, and uh, Bruno's head is just straight, straight staring yeah. guy. That's like how you know always, he's a
1: true psycho. Yeah, unswayed by by the crowd. Yeah. And mm-hmm. this is
2: this era of like candid camera and you know, this is, this is when yeah. everyone was like, you know, and like the elevator experiment yeah. and like when everyone's like super hung up on conformity and mm-hmm. you know, and like the worst thing you could think of would be.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: Know, yeah.
1: Well, David,
0: thank you so much for coming
1: Tour to force through, through, uh, through areas of fakery. I had no idea even existed great you've opened up new pockets of experience <laughs> new pockets of inauthenticity and authenticity for us to to rifle through
2: yeah but you know <laughs> i just want to say like i'm not i'm not entirely like i don't actually believe in that distinction very no much. no i know yes no, no no i know but i think that like i which which leaves me puzzled like back to the beginning mm-hmm. as to why i play with it so much mm-hmm. because i don't I actually think it's a kind of like um it's a pernicious distinction and it's kind of a disrupt. it's a kind of a destructive distinction. Mm-hmm. So I like just as I don't know why I was doing that Empire Strikes Back thing, I do not know why I keep trying well, to do that. Well, you know, perhaps this, I guess, but... I
1: mean it's it's pretty clear that like, you know, that you you said earlier <laughs> yeah. in the conversation that it was a it was a way to exercise a certain kind of power, right? Yeah. And I mean, in order to like you've exercised power over those people who were in the midst of the clack and did not have any idea right you were compelling them to do this thing that yeah. it's not that they didn't want to do it but there's a way in which you laid bare the fact that we don't know whether or not we actually want to do it and wanting is maybe not even the right category for describing what happens when you are enmeshed in that kind of right. group psychology so you are doing the devil's work. Um, so, that, so that's, so yeah. that's, that's your answer.
2: Okay. Yeah. All right. But well,
1: in a, but in a great way, there are many worse ways to do the devil's work.
0: I would go in a different <laughs> direction. Uh, and I would say that, I mean, I do think it's interesting that, that this is like someone that's been compelling to you, you know, like, you know whatever you've told the story but it's like forever like it's like something that you're interested in playing with and in some ways it's about exploding it it's about and that's kind of a little bit about what our project is too is like we do these things we go out of our way to dissemble and you know make a different version of ourselves for everybody else but like in the end does it really matter and like was it really worth it right like a lot of times, I think, in the end, we're like, not really. Like, maybe we learned a lesson along the way that, like, we shouldn't necessarily need to do that there, all the time. There's, of
1: course, virtue in, in, in being like, no, 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 this is how power works. And yeah, I'm of, show course. You how of works. course. You know, of course. Yes. So the important thing to uh, tap dance my way out of my last <laughs> insult no, is, no, that no, your, that? <laughs> is that you're, right, is you know, you're when you lay it bare and you let people see how it works, you know, you weaken it. And, and that's,
2: that, 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 that's the theory. Mm -hmm. But like, okay. I don't know. I buy it. I think it's really fun fun when it's working. I mean, the mechanisms of power have been exposed a lot. (laughs) Yeah. Well, (laughs) well, you
3: you can, you
1: can tell people how it works or you can show them and you can, you you can be like, no, no, no. It's all like a, a construct or you can be like, you know, you can be like that. Like, you, that thing that you thought you were experiencing, here's how it actually works. Well, we
0: get closer to it because we look at it as experience. We're like, yeah. this is what an experience is. And yeah. this is the one I had. And these are all the elements that went into it rather than like, yeah. Rather yeah. than a more simplistic understanding of it.
1: David Levine. Thank Thanks you so guys. much. Bye-bye. Thanks for coming.
0: Bye.